Hey, good morning, church. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here at Plaza. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Hope you had a chance to get your Bibles ready, or if you're using an online Bible, I want to encourage you to look at that and be in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, before we dig into the scriptures, I want to give you just a couple of updates. And uh, number one, just remind you, you can text us at our number. If you're brand new here, you can text the word CONNECT if it's your first time. And I'll give you an opportunity to ask some questions. It goes to our office. You can text the, the word PRAY if you have a prayer request. Um, or even loop, if you want to be on the inside loop of just some communication things, if you're part of the Plaza family, a member, attender here. And um, also, a couple other things going on. We are, uh, really, since the beginning of the year, just renewing our covenant each year. We do that as a church. And so if you haven't done that, want to make sure, just uh, final opportunities here. You need to get that in by Easter. Otherwise, we just assume you're not a member here. And so make sure you turn those in. Uh, and then finally, we are excited to be coming back to church in-person worship and so we need your help. If you would like to serve, you can fill out a connection card, be part of our comeback team. You want to serve as a greeter, you want to serve with our uh, first impressions or guest services in our children's ministry, uh, with our worship or production teams. Uh, in order to reach our community, we need the body of Christ uh, here doing that. And so I want to invite you to join us and for the comeback team. And then also, uh, because we're getting ready for just, it's about two weeks away, uh, March 28th. And so it's going to be a great time. And then lastly is we are getting ready also and excited for an awesome Easter. We're going to have two services. We're actually going to partner with our friends from the Red Church. Really cool story about how that worked out uh, is that they needed some space, and we were going to do an egg hunt together with them, which is another way you guys can sign up. We're going to do a joint egg hunt for our community, and we've got 25,000 eggs. It's a lot of eggs, and, um, and so we were working together with that, and then we said, hey, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And I just said, man, what if we did a joint service to really encourage our community? And so it's going to be awesome. And I hope you'll be a part of it, uh, whether it's online or in person. But you can sign up to help out on Easter. You can sign up to help with the egg hunt. Again, all that can be found on your connection card if you want to serve in any of those ways. And we are just excited for what God is uh, doing, what he has been doing, what he's going to continue to do. So, all right, let's jump into the text here. And um, I don't know about you, but one thing I think about a whole lot is ice cream. Maybe that's just me. And you might say, Pastor, you have problems. And you'd be right. I do have problems. And, uh, but I think about ice cream a lot. We like to have ice cream um, as our family. Sometimes, even when we record these messages, we have ice cream. I might just get some ice cream tonight after this, just now thinking about it. But I want you to think, have you ever watched a kid eat ice cream? A little kid, you know? Um, just, uh, just, you know, two, three, four, five years old. And um, I used to get in trouble for the way I licked my ice cream because I would lick it real quick, probably because I didn't want it to spill on me. But if you watch most kids, when they eat ice cream, man, they are just wrapped up in it. They are just enjoying it. Man, they're just taking it one. They're, they are just focused on that ice cream. They are just like people could be arguing around them. And they, as long as they got that ice cream, they are just like, pew, pew. Not a care in the world. It gets all over their face. It gets all over their hair, their shirt, their arms. I mean, just lick after lick. Nothing else going on around them. They are just enthralled. You almost got to hose those little kids down, um, you know, after they're done eating ice cream because it just gets everywhere. But they're so focused on it. They're engrossed. They are engaged in it, and they are enthralled. I mean, they're riveted by this ice cream, and nothing else is really distracting them. 
And as I think about little kids and ice cream, uh, I really think about what Paul is challenging these Philippians to do in this last chapter of the book. And, um, and, and he is telling them, he's really going to tell them to stand firm, to stay focused um, and not be distracted, just like a little kid eating some ice cream. And so how often do you get distracted from the gospel? Man, I know just a few minutes ago before we did this message, I was highly distracted and I had to ask for the Lord's help. But how often do you get distracted during the day from God and the presence of God, the things of God, um, the truths of God? It is a constant battle for me. So we're going to give you the title of this message as we're in this series on Philippians. The title is this. It is you versus S. You versus S. This is part five in our series called um, A Letter from Lockdown, where Paul is in jail and he's writing back to this church at a place called Philippi. Philippi was actually the first um, European city to uh, have a Christian church. This was, well, I should say it the other way. It was the first place in Europe. There were plenty of churches around in the Middle East, but this was the first church planted in Europe at Philippi. And so Paul is writing back to them, and he's challenging them on some things. And, uh, and the main theme is really joy, and he's going to talk about, listen, uh, there are lots of things coming to distract you from the joy that God has given you, just like that ice cream. And one of the things is drama. One of the things is a lack of unity, of disunity, of discord amongst families, amongst church members, amongst a city and a nation. Drama and and a lack of unity is going to come in to try to steal your joy, going to come in and try to distract you from what God is doing. And he's going to warn them. It's threatening them. It's threatening their uh, joy. It's also threatening the mission of the church when there's drama happening. And there are these two characters here. Euodia and Syntyche. I like to call them U and S. And they are fighting, apparently. And, um, and they're fighting so much that Paul gets word of this and, and has to kind of warn them and speak out to them. And so, listen, uh, we want to, to remember that unity is an important thing for us as Christians. Unity is an important thing. Um, And so let me share with you just a couple of scriptures that remind us of how important unity is. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6 reminds us this. It says, make every effort, make every effort. How many efforts? Every effort. Make every effort to keep the what? Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Again, this is the Bible here, folks, it says make every effort. Can you say that you've made every effort to keep the unity in your marriage? That you've made every effort to keep the unity between your siblings? You've made every effort to keep the unity between your neighbors or coworkers or your classmates or your roommates, right? Do you focus on that? See, unity is very important for Christians. Make every effort to keep the unity. And um, then it says this, right? Verse number four says, because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And then again, notice the focus here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. I mean, this is just all kinds of reminders here that he gives us of saying, look, the focus is on one God, one spirit, one body, and, and don't get divided on these things. Uh, because knowing that the body of Christ is, is unified is so important, and knowing that we have unity in our homes and in our marriages and our relationships is a big deal. And so unity is a big deal. Jesus even prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21. 
This was the prayer of Jesus. And he says in verse 21, he says, Father, I pray that all of them may be what? One. That all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. But Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one. Now, let me just remind you that unity is not the same as uniformity. Did you hear me? I said unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity is we are together, we are a unit, even though we're different and we're diverse and we have different um, gifts and abilities and different opinions on things. Uniformity is everyone has to be the same, otherwise you're kicked out of the group. So that's not what the Bible is talking about. So let's make sure we distinguish that. God has made us all diverse, all of us different feelings and opinions, different preferences. But we can still be unified in what we do. So we won't all agree. That's, that's for sure. I don't, I don't think God expects us all to agree, but he does expect us to be unified. And how many of you know you can be unified with people who you disagree with? Because there is a bigger picture at stake. There is something greater than your preference, than my preference, than her preference, than his preference. There is something greater, namely the mission of God, that he has called us to reach the lost, that God is roaming through this earth, calling his children back to himself. We are doing um, battle against the kingdom of darkness, and we are to be bringing the kingdom of light, and we shouldn't be getting caught up in foolish things that destroy our unity and stop us from spreading the light and the love of Christ. If that happens, oh man, that's a big deal. And so unity is a big deal. And people can have union and be connected together. You can be part of the same family. You can be part of the same church. You can be roommates with somebody. Um, you can be in a marriage. You can uh, have coworkers. And you can be, have union with them and not be unified. And that will hurt the organization. That will hurt your family. That will hurt the church if there is not unity. You won't be able to accomplish it. And if you don't believe me that you can have union without unity, well, then just do this sometime. Take two cats and tie their little tails together and throw them over a power line and or a clothesline. And, um, and you let me know if, if you can have unity and union, right? Those cats will be going at each other. Now, before you send me nasty emails or call Peter on me, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do not advocate hurting cats. And um, we actually have a cat now ourselves. And, and so we have become cat people. We've been converted from dog people to cat people. But the illustration still remains is that two cats can be unified and not have unity. Do you know what I'm saying? So let me give you point number one uh, of you versus S and how we're going to build unity. Point number one is this. Unity happens when we focus on the good in others. Unity happens when we focus on the good in others. Hope you're taking notes. I like to take notes. Unity happens when we focus on the good in others. It is always our tendency to focus on the negative. That's because we have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. You have that. And we typically find we walk in a room and we typically will notice what's wrong first. Not everybody, but a lot of us do that. We'll typically get to know somebody and find the things that are wrong with them. Their hair is out of place. They have a speck on their teeth, right? I mean, you know, they have a boogie hanging out of their nose. Like we, we will typically find the things wrong with people. But listen, it makes it hard to be unified when all we can do is focus on the negative or the problems. Makes that very difficult. Look at verse number one. Look at the words that Paul uses here for the people in the church of Philippi. Look how he treats them and what he says to them. He says this, therefore, my what? 
My brothers, my brothers and sisters. He, he's using a term of endearment for him. Then he says this, whom I, what? Love. Shout it out at your house. If you're watching by yourself, you, all the more reason for you to shout it out loud. And uh, if you're watching with people, everybody shout it. Whom I love. And then he says this, and I long for. Look at these words here. You are my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he says this, my beloved. Man, there is drama in their church. There is drama between you and S. And, 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 and there's so much drama that the report, I mean, again, he is probably uh, a, close to seven to 800 miles away. And remember, they sent this guy to him to bring him a gift. And, and the report he's getting is there's drama back in Philippi. Euodia and Syntyche, you versus S, they are arguing. And this is a big deal. And Paul is, is, is instead of bashing them, notice how he focuses on the good things. He is still encouraging them. He's reminding them of their identity in the Lord. Notice even in that verse there, he says, stand firm in the Lord, right? And that's their identity. He's challenging them. And, and how many of you know that, listen, even when someone challenges you, it's not always a beatdown. Some of us, we can't handle any kind of criticism. And uh, when I was uh, playing sports, my coach would often challenge us, you know, like, I love you, but I'm going to give you constructive criticism. If you can't handle that, you're not going to make it on this team. I'm going to stick with you. I'm not going to stop challenging you because I want you to get better. I believe in you so much. I want you to get better. But some people can't handle that kind of constructive criticism. And so Paul is going to criticize and challenge them and help them. But he's doing it in a way that is encouraging. And, and this, this is what he says. And so unity happens when we focus on the good in others. So he didn't start right out with all of their problems. He says, look, my, my brothers, I love you. You're my joy. You're my crown. I long for you. Even though there's drama, even though y'all are messing this stuff up, you are wounding the church. But I still love you. Then verse 2, right? This is where he gets into you versus S. Euodia versus Syntyche. Verse 2 says this, I entreat or I plead, uh, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree to get along or some translations will say to be of the same mind, again, to be unified. Now, I know some of you right away will say, Pastor, your little letters are a little off uh, because Euodia starts with an E, so wouldn't it be E versus S? Yes, trust me, I noticed that but I liked you versus S because I think you know where I'm going with this. Because a lot of times we are trying to look at someone else as the enemy. We make our spouse the enemy. We make our neighbor and their dog who poops in the grass and they don't have a bag to clean it up the enemy. Uh, we, we, we make our, our roommate who, who doesn't do their dishes the way they should and leaves their shoes uh, muddied all over the floor. Uh, we make them the enemy. And it's you versus me instead of realizing that we are us that we are us. We make people in the church our enemies instead of realizing that we are us. And so we have to get rid of the you versus the S and we need to make sure we're becoming us. And this is what's going on here with Euodia. Plus, it sounds like a you, all right? And so that's how it works out. But he, he is noticing some things here. I want you to notice again as he talks to these ladies. He does challenge them. He does say, knock it off. He says, I'm pleading with you. Plead with them. I challenge you. I entreat you agree in the Lord, be of the same mind. So he's saying, get along, man, work this stuff out. Be of the same mind. But notice what he doesn't say, because what he doesn't say is just as important as what he does say. He doesn't say who's right. Did you notice that? He doesn't pick a side. 
He doesn't say, Euodia is right, so Syntyche, you need to get your act together. He just tells them, look, y'all need to get this figured out. You need to knock this off. He doesn't take sides. And that's important for us to remember because he's focused on the good in both of them. He, he, he is not joining in on their argument. He's not taking the side there. He believes good things. And so when it comes to us in our life, always look for the good first because you will typically find, and it will be your default and my default to find what's wrong with somebody first. And so make a list of things that are good. Now, lest you just think this is like positive thinking, a way to gloss over problems, it's not. We still have to address problems. Absolutely, uh, Paul is, is telling us to address this problem here. Tell these people to get along. But he's doing it in a way that still looks for the good and believes the best about them. But if we look just a few verses later, and we didn't read this earlier, uh, but it's really part of the same idea. Philippians 4, just a few verses down, and verse 8, he goes on to say this. Finally, brothers, and this was a memory verse uh, that we memorized as a church last year. Finally, brothers and sisters, right? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Think. Think about what? Think about these things. So this is biblical to think about the positive things in someone else's life and focus on those things. Keep a list of those things. Again, that doesn't mean we deny areas where people need to improve or ways in which people have hurt us. We don't deny those things. But if we're going to have unity in a marriage, if we're going to have unity uh, between roommates, if we're going to have unity in a, in a neighborhood, if we're going to have unity in a church, we have to continue to look for and not demonize people. We need to continue to look for the good, right? And so what would happen if you and I focused more instead of assuming, right? This is typically do. We play the tape forward and we start assuming a negative storyline for that person. I know why they were late to the meeting. They're late because they're a slacker. They're late because they don't care as much as I care about this company. I know why they leave their car parked like that, because they are a low-down, dirty, no good. Their parents didn't raise them right, and their parents didn't raise them right. They're ruining our country. They're ruining our neighborhood. I know why they did all this. You can really see people's hearts. If you have that ability, please call me right now, because we could use you in a lot of church situations. Trust me. The reality is you can't see anyone's heart. You're assuming, and we typically play the story negative. And so don't do that. So how would that look if in your marriage you made a, a list of things you love about your spouse instead of focusing on all of the negatives with your best friend or your roommates if you made a list of the things that you appreciate about them? Could I challenge you maybe to do that if you're experiencing some tension with somebody, with a coworker who just grates your nerves? Could you make a list of all the good things about them with your sibling? Maybe it's someone of a different political persuasion. See, again, we, wanna, we live in a cancel culture, and anytime someone disagrees with us, we find a way to cancel them and get rid of them. All people like this are like that. All people of a different political, you know, and we start demonizing them instead of finding the good. Someone of a different racial makeup. All people are like this. All white people are like this. All black people are like this. All Asian people are like this. All Hispanic people are like this. No, that's not true. We need to make sure we're looking for the good. How would things be different? I heard the story that a counselor told 
about a husband and a wife in for some marriage counseling. And, um, and, and, you know, they were going through some things. And anytime you do an initial counseling meeting, you have to go through a lot of stuff to kind of hear people's story. And the guy could see the wife was visibly upset. She was tapping her foot and tapping her hand. She wanted to get to the meat of what she believed were her husband's problems. And so the counselor finally had to stop her because it was almost becoming a distraction as he was trying to gather enough information about their background and their history and how long they'd be married and all this sort of stuff. And she just wanted to dig in to this. And so he said, hey, listen, I can see you're a little anxious, and um, it seems like you have some things on your mind. I would like you. And he gave her a legal pad. I brought my little legal pad with me today. He gave her a little legal pad, and he said, just, you know, it seems like you have some things on your mind. And she said, oh, yes, I do. I want you just to go ahead and write whatever those things are on your mind uh, so that way you can kind of get them out and and then we can maybe talk about them at a later time. What he didn't know was that she was going to write down all the things that she had a problem with her husband with. Well, she wrote and wrote and wrote and then the, the, the... the session was dismissed, and she took that uh, legal pad home, and, um, and she wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And, you know, if you ever write in these things a lot, you know how they can get kind of fluffy? And he said she came back the next week, and that thing was fluffy and full. He said, no lie, no lie, 57 pages of problems and things that her husband was doing wrong that she filled up. Listen, 57 pages front and back on a legal pad of all these things. She was keeping a list of all the things he had done wrong and was hanging on to that list. Man, can I just tell you that marriage had a whole lot of work to do and it wasn't all the husband? Because if all we're focused on is, is the negative, we can't see what God is doing right in front of us and it won't build unity. Studies have shown uh, time after time that if we're just to focus on a few of the things that our spouse or that our roommate or that someone in our uh, community or our church is doing right, it changes the whole dynamic of how we interact with them. And so let me challenge you. Make a list, not of the things wrong someone's doing, but of the things they're doing that you can appreciate. And watch how that changes your situation around. And so find those things that you can appreciate about that person, about that situation, about one another. And so point number one is this. It is a reminder. Unity happens when we focus on the good in others. Point number two, you can write this down as this. Unity happens when we focus on the mission. Unity happens when we focus on the mission. When we stay focused on what God has called us to do, we don't have time to start arguing with other people. You probably heard the phrase, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And that's true because when people have just time to sit around and critique others, well, they love to Monday morning quarterback about why this person's not doing that, why they should do this. But when you get busy about the mission, when you get busy about what God has called you to do, man, I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of time to nitpick other people. I'm so busy doing what God has called me to do. And so, man, I I don't get into all this other sort of stuff. I don't know if you remember old Charlie Brown or as it was called was a comic strip, Peanuts. Well, during one of those um, little cartoons, Lucy, um, she went up to Linus. And if you don't know who Lucy and Linus are and Charlie Brown, I'm sorry that you grew up so destitute. And uh, and so you have to look that up on Google. Uh, But Lucy came up to Linus and she demanded that Linus change the TV channel. And she threatened him with her fist. She stuck it in his face. And and she said, you're going to get this if you don't. Give me that remote. 
How many remember arguing with a sibling over, you know, who got control of the remote? Yep, that was me. And, uh, and so Linus retorts, or he says, what makes you think that, that you can walk in here and take over and get this remote from me? And then Lucy replies, she says, these five little fingers. She said, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them all together, you better watch out because they're a mighty weapon. All of a sudden, Linus handed that uh, uh, little remote over to her and backed up because Lucy can be uh, pretty serious. And he said, which channel do you want? And, um, and then he turned away, and this is what happened. He turned away, and he looked at his hands, and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? That's the truth, isn't it? Satan wants to keep us divided as, as, as families, divided as churches, divided as a nation, divided uh, against political lines so that we cannot get together and do damage to the kingdom of darkness. That's the battle we're supposed to be fighting. We're not supposed to be fighting each other. We're supposed to be doing battle against spiritual warfare, against principalities and powers, not against one another. Why can't, why can't you guys get organized like that to do some damage for the kingdom of God? Amen. So when we're focused on the mission, unity happens when we, we don't start focusing on ourselves. Let's look back at verse 1, and, um, and you'll see how this is illustrated. Verse 1, again, says this, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Notice what he says here. Stand what? Stand firm. Put that in the chat. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He's reminding them to stand firm in the Lord because you as believers, we as a church, we have a mission to accomplish and we need to stand firm in that and not get wavered and pushed aside on secondary issues or preferences or silly things. Like that is just foolishness. Why would we spend time arguing with other people about things that don't matter in the big picture of eternity? People got to know Jesus and it's our responsibility to tell them. We're not going to argue about little things. That's crazy. And he says, stand firm in that. Don't get distracted. Be like a little kid enjoying the ice cream. Stand firm. Be be like some fingers that get together and pound the mess out of the devil and the forces of darkness that are keeping people locked down in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our schools. Man, that's what we need to be doing. And so he's really, notice also the very first word of this chapter. It says, therefore. And uh, if you've been around Plaza, we try to say, anytime you read the Bible and you see the word therefore, a good Bible study tool, tool is simply to ask this, what's it there for? All right, you with me? So when you're reading your Bible at home, you see the word therefore, you need to say, what's it there for? What he's doing here is he's connecting it to everything he said in the previous passage, chapter 3, and to what he said also throughout the book, because he's, he's really concluding his letter here. So he's saying, in light of chapter 1, 2, and 3, stand firm. And you can follow this pattern throughout the text. In chapter 1, he uses the same word of uh, standing firm. Look at Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 27. He says this, Only let your manner of, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I am absent, that I may hear that you are what? Standing firm. That's the word there. So this was chapter 1. He's saying, I may hear that you're standing firm. And then how is he connecting that? No, he's connecting it to unity. You're standing firm in one spirit. You're standing firm with one mind. That's what he's telling uh, Euodia and Syntyche. Have one mind. 
uh, striving, and here's another uh, analogy, another picture that he's going to give us also uh, in the chapter we're looking at, striving side by side for the faith, not side by side for your kingdom, not side by side for your preferences, not side by side for what you want to do, but side by side for the gospel. The gospel's got to get out. That's the most important thing. We don't want to get caught up on lesser issues, man. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then in chapter 3, which comes right before chapter 4, really what he was saying in chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 14, kind of was this thing. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, he's trying to move the church towards the mission of God. Straining forward to what lies what? Ahead. And then he goes on to say, and this is sort of the big picture of chapter 3, I press what? On. I press on. We, we have got to advance the mission of God. The kingdom of God has got to continue to spread the love of God, the gospel. And, and man, as we come to Easter, like this is what this is this great reminder is like, man, the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. Like he actually came out of the grave. He purchased salvation for every man, woman, boy and girl who would come to him. Like we could be liberated. We are freed. Everyone who trusts in Christ for for all of eternity. Like this is the best news ever. The gospel means good news and we've got it. We've got to let people know about it. Easter, it's real. This is why it's such a big celebration or should be a big celebration for us. Not, not just a, a religious celebration, not just Easter egg hunts and, and, and church services, but man, a real life. I'm excited about the resurrection. I'm excited to let people know that, listen, the world is going to be changed for the good because of the resurrection. God is bringing light to all the dark places, to all the horrific wars, to all the great injustices that have been done. Physical injustice, economic injustice, racial injustice. I mean, God is in the process of restoring the earth. That's good news. And and when the world looks like it's going crazy, we get to shout a different message to the world and say, listen, guys, join God's team because he is repairing all this. You can be a part of it. And he says, I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he's telling them, listen, we're saying you'll have unity when you stay focused on the big picture. I used to have an old country preacher. He said this, look, church, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's country grammar, but it's good preaching, isn't it? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. The gospel getting out is the main thing. And that's where we've got to stand firm on. We don't get caught up in secondary issues and lesser things. We stand firm on keeping the main thing, the main thing. Then verses 2 and 3, back in chapter 4, where we're at, right? Notice what he says. I entreat Euodia, right? Or I plead with Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, not to be you versus S, but to be us. He says this, to agree in the Lord, right? That's the point. You need to agree in the Lord. Lord. And then he challenges the rest of the church and also a specific person, uh, probably the courier of this, verse 3. Notice what he says. He says, yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help. Help these women. Help these women. They need some help. Challenge them and have this conversation with them. But notice what he says. Notice again how he doesn't talk bad about Euodia and Syntyche. He says, help these women who have labored. He's saying, these are good people. They have labored. Notice again, the same ideas here. Side by side with me 
In the gospel, that's the point, we're, we're laboring side by side together with Clement and the rest of my, notice the word here, fellow workers. This idea of, um, and sometimes the word is yoke fellow, fellow workers whose names are all written in the book of life. I want to just focus on this idea of laboring side by side, of, of having yoke fellows or fellow laborers. And uh, I don't know about you, I've never driven oxen. But I understand the analogy, if, and, and the word is used all throughout the Bible about a yoke, which is the wooden bar that would go across uh, two or a team of oxen, and, uh, and that's what would help them pull the plow or help them pull the cart. Now, of course, I didn't grow up in a town where I had to pull oxen or drive oxen or whatever you call it. Maybe you did. If you grew up in a town and a time like that, I mean, let us know. You could probably give us more insight into how this works. But the concept is very simple. If you have one oxen who wants to go left and another oxen who wants to go right, and they're both yoked together by this big wooden bar, are they going to go anywhere? No, their energy is going to be wasted trying to divide, and they're not going to gain any ground. They're not going to accomplish the purpose. They're not going to accomplish what they were put there to do. They were put there to plow the field. They were put there to, to move the cart. You were put here for a reason, sir or ma'am. And if you are, are lacking unity with your spouse, if you're lacking unity with the people uh, who you live with or at your uh, school or your job, you're not accomplishing the purpose for what God has put you there. You need to be unified. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you need to be unified with some sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying cave into sin. You need to stand firm if someone gets you or asks you to do something inappropriate. No, you stand firm in that. But there's got to be this sense of I want to be a person who brings unity. And so are we doing that? And in and, and a church, are we people who say, look, we're going to be unified and we're going this direction because we have a mission to carry. I want to get this field plowed or a body. The Bible talks about the church being a body. And if my right leg wants to go this way and my left leg wants to go that way, I'm not going to move forward, am I? No, see, the body has to be going. The legs have to be moving in the same direction. And this happens when people lose focus off the mission, and they get focused on themselves. They get focused on what they want. They get focused on their preferences. We've got to stay focused on getting the gospel out. I don't know if you heard, you know, or thought about snowflakes. Uh, somebody was uh, mentioning how snowflakes are just one of nature's marvels. You know, there's no two snowflakes alike, and God and his beautiful, infinite creativity can make them all uh, different. But someone was talking about this earlier. They said, you know, Snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. You could blow on them and they can break. You can flick them and they'll break. They hit your windshield and they'll break. But man, when snowflakes all stick together, look what they can do. Snowflakes that stick together are way more effective than a fist that can stick together. Amen? I mean, some snow can stop traffic. Some snow can keep us in our houses. And we don't get a whole lot of snow where we live, um, but we had some this year. And man, when, when the snow sticks together, Man, it's got a powerful impact. When we stick together as believers, we have a powerful impact as a church. And so we should be linking arms. That's kind of the idea here, side by side. So I want you to visualize you. And if you're there watching with your family, just link arms with each other. Go ahead. It'll be weird for a couple seconds. But if there's nobody there, just pretend you're linking arms with somebody from, from church. Like we should be linking arms, moving forward to bless our community, to reach the lost. We should be linking arms to accomplish the mission and when we do this, we'll be unified. When you do this in the places you're at, when you, when you remember that, hey, listen, at my work, man, I'm here to link arms with these. My coworkers aren't my enemies. My, my wife or my husband is not my enemy. We've got to be linking arm 
arms in our marriage and, and, and advancing the mission that God has put us here for. You know, you, you have a mission in your marriage. Your marriage is meant to reflect Christ. And if you're arguing with each other, man, you, you can't do that. Um, you know, your siblings, you, if you're arguing with each other, you're, you as a family are meant to glorify Christ. Like your team, your team can't be successful on a basketball court or a soccer field or, a, you know, any of those other places if you're not linking arms and moving the same direction. And so you've got to be unified. So point number one is that unity will happen when we focus on the good. Point number two is that unity will happen when we're focused on the mission. And then lastly is this, unity happens when we are enjoying Jesus, when we are enjoying Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus is meant to be enjoyed? I hope you know that, that God invites us to enjoy his presence. The Bible says there are pleasures at the right hand of God and that God himself is the greatest treasure to have and having him is the, the, the fullest of joy. Again, this whole little letter to the Philippians is all about joy found in God. And when we are enjoying Christ, man, we experience a true joy that can't be taken away. Look at the last couple of verses, verses four and five. He says this, rejoice where? Rejoice where? In the Lord. How often? Always. You might want to circle that one if you got your Bible out. Circle always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Man, that is an incredible statement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always rejoice when things are difficult. Yes, because you're rejoicing in God. Rejoice when there is a job loss. That's always, right? Rejoice even in difficult diagnoses because I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the middle of pandemics. Rejoice. Be filled with joy. See, joy is not just a fake feeling. It's not that I have to put on a smile. It's not that I even have to feel a certain way because my feelings will go up and down depending on the circumstances. But, man, I can have a sense of joy, a deep, abiding joy. We talked about um, uh, last year in, you know, November time frame when we worked through the first part of this book that there was this indestructible joy that God gives us as believers. Indestructible. Our joy can't be taken away. We can give it away, but it can't be taken away from us but our joy is truly found in the Lord, right? Just like a kid eating ice cream. So focused because this ice cream, man, it is so good. Man, I, you know what? There is chaos around me. There is drama around me, but I love the Lord and God, and I'm enjoying him, and I, man, I have got some unity. I have got some joy because I am simply focused on God. Verse 5, as he kind of closes out this little section here. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. There's a quote by a guy named A.W. Tozer, uh, a, a beautiful passage, a beautiful writer. I love Tozer's stuff and his book, The Pursuit of God. He says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second so you can catch that imagery. That 100 pianos tuned to one fork, these pianos can be in different locations, different states, different temperatures, but if they're tuned to that one same fork, they're automatically in tune with each other. Did you know that? Then he goes on to say this. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another 
standard to which each one must individually bow. You see, there is an individual, there is a standard that we all have to bow to. That standard is Jesus Christ. And the more we keep our eyes on him, man, I find myself experiencing a lot of unity with people all over the place, uh, different countries. I can meet people from different countries that are believers. I can meet people from different backgrounds and, 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 and experience a kinship with them. Why? Because I find that we're all tuned to the same fork. The fork is Jesus. And there's this crazy, uncommon unity that I can have with people from such diverse backgrounds and such different um, you know, uh, experiences of life. But, man, we've all been tuned to the standard of Jesus Christ. And we all bow before him and him alone. He goes on to say this. So, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Got that visual in your mind, right? All these worshipers, all these believers, we're looking where? We're looking to Christ. We're not looking at each other. We're not looking to the books we like. We're looking to Christ. We're not looking to the music we like. We're not looking to what we want to do. We're looking to Christ. We will be more in tune with each other. Like we are in heart nearer to each other than we could possibly be. And the quote goes on to say this. And we could possibly be were they to become unity in quotation marks conscious and turn their eyes away, turn their eyes away from God and strive for a closer fellowship. And I thank God that our church experiences a unity, and, um, and uh, that unity, I really believe, is because we're focused on Christ. And when we keep our eyes on Christ and we're enjoying Him, churches, families, individuals experience an uncommon unity. And so if you want unity in your life, you know what you need more of? You know what I need more of? Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus personally, if you're watching this, you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, but you want unity in your marriage, in your life, in your, in your place, and you're, you're needing that unity, you're wanting, you're a person who wants to see unity. Well, listen, you can't bring that unity to your job, to your marriage, if you don't possess it yourself. And the only way to possess that unity yourself is to, is to have Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that we are not unified with God, but we're actually separated from him because of our sins. And the way to be unified, to be reunited with Christ, is to turn from our sins and trust Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And that happens when we surrender our lives to Christ. Why would we want to do that? Well, do you remember that notepad I told you about, that legal pad that that wife had written 57 pages of sins, of problems that her husband had committed 57 pages front and back? Can I just tell you, sir or ma'am, that you have a legal pad with God? I have a legal pad with God. And can I just be honest with you? My legal pad has way, way more than 57 pages, right? My legal pad for last year had way over 365 pages. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I sin every day. I make mistakes every day. And mine is filled. But do you know what the Lord has done with that legal pad that had all of my long list of sins bullet pointed, annotated, and noted? You know what God has done? In Jesus Christ, God has took my legal pad and he has shredded it and got rid of every page. And, and that legal pad is now gone. I am now legally justified. I am now legally free and clear, not held responsible for the crimes I have committed against God. And that's what it means to be in a relationship with God. Sir or ma'am, 
You could have your legal pad shredded because God loves you and he went to the cross to pay for your sins. If, if, if you know you need to make that decision, you haven't given your life to Christ, I'd love to pray with you right now. And you can repeat these words. It's not the words that matter. It's really a condition of your heart. And so if you join me in a word of prayer, you might want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. And God, right now, I give myself completely to you. God, I give myself completely to you. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know in the chat. Fill out a connection card. We want to help you grow and learn how to keep the unity in your life. And for the rest of us as believers, um, let's make sure we are walking in unity. One spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, striving together, side by side, linking arms, fighting against the real enemy, the enemy of our souls, Satan and all the forces of hell that are trying to attack families, trying to attack our community and our neighborhood and our world. Let's be pushing back the darkness. We'll see you next time.